<clears throat> Thanks, Chris. So, um, uh, as I say, we're um, it's great to have you with us this morning. Hopefully, um, if you if you're just here to visit, um, or if it's just your first time, hopefully you can pick up a little bit of the theme of what we're looking at. And we're just back into the start of the year, and uh, I want to take a few moments this morning just to try and set the scene for where we as a church family are going over the next number of months. And so hopefully you'll um, bear with us as we as we share some of those things. And um, and maybe even if you don't have a, a regular church family and you're here this morning, we'd love to encourage you, if you'd like to, to, to come and be part of us here. We'd, we'd love to have you. Um, last year we started a series um, but this time last year, and you're going through the book of Acts, and the, the, the series was entitled Unfolding the Great Commission. And we wanted to follow this book because it's a great book to start with, but also because we are a young church. And um, the early church is, um, the story of Acts tells us the journey of the early church. And uh, we believe that uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, who was the author of that, to write that in such a way that it would be informative and instructive for us. And as we start um, a new church, and we're two years into our journey together, we felt this would be really helpful and really foundational for us to ensure that we're kind of aligned with what we think um, the Holy Spirit inspired. And so if you're a beginner with the Bible, or if you're, you know, um, maybe not that au fait with it, just, um, we, uh, just to help you understand that the book of Acts unfolds and tells the, the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is the title that the church gives to the words of Jesus before he went back to heaven in terms of how the church should, um, how the disciples should continue to declare and proclaim his message and to see his kingdom come. And, uh, and so in the words of Luke, who wrote the, the final gospel, is that working on me? Next one. Maybe the wee thing's not in, is it? Next one. Yeah, so in the words of, in the words of um, Luke's final gospel, he said this to him. He told him, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you will be witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Luke is the author of his own gospel called Luke, but he's also, in case you don't know, the author of the book of Acts as well. It's like a box set. It's like a two-part series, okay? And um, Luke finishes his gospel in this way, and he's going to tee it up, really, for how this next installment in the book of Acts is going to play out. And he's going to tell us throughout the whole book of Acts exactly what Jesus said here, how it's going to happen. Acts is basically a book telling us about what Jesus said here, how it happens, how this gospel is going to not just go from Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. And of course, the church follows the way of Jesus. It follows the Jesus way. It's modeled on the teachings and the way and the words and the life of Jesus, which is why for us as a church family, we have kind of taken a break from Acts over the last term just to make sure that we really understand what we mean when we talk about following Jesus in all of life and teaching through those six practices that we did because we wanted to ensure that if we're going to be a church that looks like Jesus, we know what Jesus looked like and the way that he lived his life, that we just don't believe in what he did, but we follow who he is as a person. And so as we get back into the book of Acts this morning, we want to think about how we establish family here as a church in Portadown and across the city of Kurgavan, and, um, and how we want to 
how we want to make sure that the essentials of what the early church were, we were, especially because we're most likely going to be on the move again this year. And it's important for us to know what are the things that we really need to hold to. And so we taught a good bit of this last year, the first part of last year. And so if you don't mind, this morning what I want to do, because we're going to be pushing on into this over the next number of Sundays, I'd love to kind of recap a little bit with a number of kind of just key sort of learning outcomes, if you like, that we understood last year that I think will do us no harm just to re-emphasize this morning so that they are strong in our hearts as we go forward. And so our first kind of sub-series was this idea of the origins of the church, the first sort of six chapters we looked at. And uh, the first thing that we noticed in that origins is the key of, the first key was that the Holy Spirit birthed the church and he longs to fill us with his presence. It's really, really important that we don't think of the church as just some man-made institution, some cool idea that men have come up with, some little kind of sentimental group of like nice people. That's not essentially what it is. The church is birthed and initiated and instigated by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so for us, it's really, really important that we remember that the church is a supernatural phenomenon. It's nothing that man conjured up in and of itself. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that it's a mystery that's now being revealed, that the manifold wisdom of God should be revealed through his people, his church. And um, and God's life, it's God's idea, and his life, his birthing, his leading and sustaining, and that's what the church should be, a group of people in love with Jesus, surrendered to his lordship, who are fully fully emptied of themselves, that's the idea, in order to be filled with the life and energy of God himself in order to build his family. And, um, and, and so the second kind of key that's important alongside that for us is that the church is not first and foremost uh, an institution. It's not first and foremost a building. The church in for, first and foremost is, is a movement. A movement of God's spirit, and once we kind of once we lose that, we're we're losing the very essence of how the church was birthed and what it's actually all about. Because the word for when Jesus said in the last scripture that I read, which said that Jesus said, "Then wait until you have been clothed with power from on high." The word there is the word dunamis in the Greek which is where our English word dynamite eventually comes from, which kind of suggests it's powerful. And the thing about the love of God and the mystery of the cross is that the power is the love, and the love is the power, which is completely countercultural to the world in which we live in, because power in the world we live in is, is usually nothing to do with love, and it's not steward in a loving way. And love, the way we talk about it today, you know, don't get me going again on Love Island, which has just started back again, right? But that is not love, and it's certainly not powerful. The love that we're talking, I'm not saying that means it's all bad, but it's, it is pretty bad, right? But I'm just, I'm just trying to say, right, it's just, like, uh, and it makes me sick, but apart from that, right, um, it's just intellectually vapid, right? It's just shallow, superficial nonsense. But anyway, if you like to like watch a bit of trash, that's fine, right? So, so um, bring it back, bring it back, okay. Um, what I'm trying to say is that is not love. Right? And we need to fight for our words, the Bible words, and their correct meaning, okay? And so love in the Bible is 
power because the most powerful act of history that has ever happened in the history of the world, the most powerful, powerful act of history was the most loving act of history. Self-sacrificial love on a cross. When God wants to flex his big, powerful, all-powerful muscles, it looks like a cross. This is the mystery. This is the mystery of the gospel. That love, sacrificial love, conquers sin, death, hell. Yeah? It is the new order. The old order will pass away and the new order will come. And so the, the, when, when the Spirit who, who is the essence of that power and love, when He fills mankind, He fills him with the power that is loving, but He fills him with the love that is powerful. And they can't stay in the same room. That's the point. They stumble out of those, that upper room or wherever they met. They stumble down the streets and something has come in them and upon them that is, they cannot hold back. And so we find that the essence of the church is movement. It moves. We are a people as the church of Jesus who move, which is, it's, it's, a, it's an indictment on the church that we've allowed church to become boring. Because it should be nothing of the sort. It should be full of life, full of the vitality of the Spirit, full of movement, yeah? full of people being filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel to the, the nations. This is, this is key. We're not supposed to get stuck. The book of Acts tells us that the church was in a constant state of growth. 18 different times at least, it tells us the church was growing. In AD 100, there was 25,000 Christians. In AD 310, to just over 200 years later, there was 20 million Christians, followers of Jesus, passionate, radical Jesus followers laying down their lives. Jeff Reed puts it like this. The key to understanding Acts seems to be, and look, the author's interested in this movement orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of the gospel from its Jerusalem-based, Judaism-oriented beginnings to it becoming a worldwide, Gentile-predominant phenomenon. Right? I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but it really gets to the essence of how the message of Jesus and the instructions of Jesus at the end of his gospel is going to move to the ends of the earth. This is the story of Acts in its origins, and that would result in a movement to the nations. The early church was viral before that word was even existed or was even cool, right? The church was viral before we, we even started to think that, that was a kind of cool thing in the last 20 years. That was the nature of the church. And, and, and so we, we are just really, really, really passionate and jealous here not to get stuck. And we might sometimes, and we need to remind ourselves and stay accountable to one another. But the reason why we're teaching this kind of stuff is we don't want to get stuck. We want to be in a move, both in our own lives individually and as a church. And that doesn't mean that we always have to necessarily move buildings, although that seems like it could be our story, uh, particularly in this season. But it does mean that we're moving beyond the building, wherever that is, into the places where God has called us to be. And that leads us on to the next key. The movement was for all flesh. It was for all flesh. And, and it's what we call an, an apostolic movement. Now, let me just explain that in case that all sounds a bit Greek, because it is Greek, right? The, the spirit, we are told, 
was going to be poured out on all flesh. This is the great news of the gospel. It's for everyone. God wants to pour himself out on all flesh, on all nations. And when we open our lives up to God's presence, we get caught up in this radical, dynamic movement of God's spirit. There was a global implication and effect to this. And we therefore become what the Bible talks about as an apostolic people. An apostolic is the Greek word for sent, right? So we're not a stay-at-home people. We're not a build your walls and stay inside of them people. We were never supposed to be, as the church, that kind of a people. We were a sent people. A sent people in and through the life of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples kind of graduated, if you like, to become apostles. The word apostle comes from the lead ship in the Roman army that would have been traveling to conquer a new land. The lead ship would have been called the, the apostle so that when that ship reached the beachhead or wherever it was going to to conquer something new, it was establishing something of that Roman culture in a new land. And that word has been used in other ways that it's been used as the raw material for what it means when the people of God become apostolic, not carrying a message of war and domination, but carrying a message of love and of the kingdom of God. A power, yes, but a power that looks like sacrificial love that's going to win the day. And so we want to be a sent people. And <clears throat> but as the movement was expanding, as the movement was um, moving to all flesh, the movement was always doing something also very interesting. It was establishing family along the way. So it was wide in its, uh, uh, in its um, effect, and it was for everyone, but it was also really deep. And um, we came to learn that the movement of the church was creating these deep, loving, sacrificial families. <laughs> There's these uh, ordinary people that actually, through the power of the Spirit, were trying to emulate the love of Jesus. They were trying to emulate the life of Jesus. And they didn't always get it right, but for the most part, like the watching world looked on and goes, what on the earth is this? And they tried to discredit it in all sorts of ways. But this family was being established all across the bottom half of the, the round the Mediterranean Sea, these little families were starting to emerge that looked like loving, sacrificial communities that went against all the cultures of the day. Let, let's read the verses in the next um, couple of slides. This is a famous kind of passage from Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Like, that is radical. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <laughs> so God's pouring out his spirit and it's resulting in ordinary people captivated by the love of Jesus, loving one another in deep, deep community. And that's why as a church, we've been talking a lot about covenanting community. The fellowship doesn't just mean the tea and sandwiches after church. 
And fellowship actually means a one-heartedness and a one-mindedness to give ourselves for a bigger mission than just our own individual lives in order to see God's kingdom break in. That's the kind of family that God has called us to create. That's the kind of family that I want to give my life for in order for little little Ollie and little Ezra to grow up in that kind of a family. That's what God is calling us to try and create. So not only is the, are they creating family, but the key number five that we learned is that this movement, these families, is sustained by white hot love for Jesus. I mean, like these guys are on fire in their hearts. Their, their hearts are burning with love for Jesus. There's nothing like stale, stuck, or boring about church for these guys because they're not actually really in the church, first and foremost. They're in the Jesus. And so they gather together. Yeah, They, they, they love him passionately. The word that we, we used, or we read, sorry, in Acts chapter 2 is the word devoted. They, ha- they were wholehearted, passionate in their love for Jesus. Every idol, every distraction had been surrendered. And the Spirit is moving in power through them. Nothing was quenching the Spirit, you know, for, for the most part. And therefore, there was just ongoing movement. And that love, deep, deep love for Jesus Christ sustained the church. It just kept it moving because the Spirit was at work. And um, that was the beginnings of the church. It wasn't really that complicated. It wasn't like loads of politics when it came to the church as we understand it today it was just ordinary ordinary people in love with Jesus trying to make him known devoted to his presence and uh, in order for that family to take shape and for order in order for them to make sure that that love was kind of forming them into Christ likeness they had certain practices the the communities established through this movement were marked by certain practices we just read it there in Acts chapter 2 it's pretty instructive there were they were, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to breaking of bread, which we've done this morning. They were devoted to one another. And they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, which is basically remembering the things that Jesus had taught them and remembering his stories and the way he lived his life. And uh, they did those things, as I said, because they were so into the person of Jesus. And this led them to become more and more like Jesus. It's incredible when you read the early results. They were marked by a radical generosity. They say that in those days, the Romans would have just simply, if they didn't want a little baby, they would have just discarded it, thrown it in the dust heaps outside the city walls. And the Christians were the ones who went and took those babies in and brought them into their families and raised them and loved them and made them become, like them, followers of Jesus. This was the mark of the early church, radical generosity, selling their homes, laying money at the feet of the apostles, sharing with one another the life. They were marked by an incredible compassion for the poor. And as a church, we want to practice certain things. When I say practice, I mean certain holy habits that we feel that's the, the, the scriptures instruct us in, in order for us to be and to become like Jesus and like the early church were, radical in generosity. And what I have found is 
just coming to church once on a Sunday and just reading my, my wee word for the day now and again isn't really enough for me to be formed into Christlikeness, for me to live that selfless, radical, generous life. I need to be praying with people. I need to be fellowshipping, being together, encouraging, having coffees with my friends, talking about this stuff, allowing myself to be challenged. I need to be breaking bread. I need to be coming around the table and taking the bread and taking the cup. And as simple as that sounds and as simple as that means. I remember that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood for me and he asks me to follow him into that same kind of life. I need those practices to be formed. Yeah, I, there are certain things. That, the, the thing about it that's so interesting is sometimes we find this stuff like heavy or something, but the reality is if, we, if we're in the sport we would never like question. In fact, we think it's admirable that somebody would want to practice loads in order to be formed into like a really good football player or a really good hockey player, or whatever it may be, or a really good musician. You'd never like you'd never like discard them, or you'd, you'd think it's really amazing, wouldn't you? Be really inspired by the fact of that you can play the piano like this because you practice. And, and you give yourself in order to be formed into someone who can play the piano or the violin or whatever it may be the way that you do. And if we, if we want to be people that actually begin looking like Jesus, because he believes that we can be like him, which is why he chooses us and calls us to himself, then there's certain practices that we need to give our hearts to, not for the practice sake, but in order that through that we can become more like him and we can reflect the beauty and the generosity and the truth and the grace that he carries. And so that's why we have certain practices, um, and that's why we want to be formed more like Jesus. And so as we go through these first six chapters of Acts, we see that the origins of the church allowed for significant growth to happen because the movement was growing. It was multiplying. It was moving. It was exciting. It was challenging and all of those things, but it keeps moving. And therefore, they needed to sustain this growth. And when we get to Acts chapter 6, there was these kind of tensions that start to happen. It's okay, those happen in the church as well, right? And the tension started because um, there was Hebrew Jews, uh, and then there was what's called Hellenistic Jews. So they were kind of Jews, but they were from the Greek world. And so these ethnic tensions started to happen about who was getting more food. And, uh, and they realized that the apostles who were trying to lead the church, they were kind of struggling to do everything. And so they got other leaders on board. People stepped up. And as people stepped up, they were able to shoulder and bear the burden of the growing expansion of the church. And that's another thing that we learned, another key. For the movement to be a movement, it needs to keep on moving. And the only way that you can keep it moving is if there's structures and people in place to help shoulder the responsibility. And so we always say, if we're going to be part of the movement of the Spirit, like one of the signs of that is going to be more people need to be coming in. People need to be, we want to see people coming to the Lord, invited in by the Spirit to the movement of God's presence and love in the world. And then as we establish families, people step up, people serve, people give of themselves, and then people are released back out to go and share 
the gospel and to plant churches and to establish mission and all of those kind of things. And we see this in the life of the church. It's all in here. That's the great thing. You don't really need that many other extra books or like Google to sort all this kind of stuff out. Most of it's there in the New Testament. All of it's there in the New Testament. And so we see amazing leadership. They come up with a brilliant community-wide plan. People think the, the Bible is kind of really boring. The best social justice charters that were ever established and the first ones were really in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And then we see it again in the New. This is the politics of Jesus, right? This is not the politics of one particular party. This is the politics of Jesus, a kingdom and a rule and a reign coming that looks like heaven breaking in on earth. And he asks his church to follow him in that same way in order to see it established. And he gives them examples of how to sustain it. And so we get to this point at Acts chapter 6 where the church is growing and multiplying. And, and, and not to get too technical, but just for a moment, what we have found in the book of Acts is Luke, like all the Bible authors, he writes it in a really, really specific way. He's got a real structure to it, right? It's not like, you know, sometimes I think when I was, I feel the Bible just kind of fell out, fell out, of, fell out of heaven, you know, and, and, and in one way, it did in the sense it's completely inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit used people who loved Jesus. And uh, there was a, a certain genius about how they wrote the books. And so there, you might not remember this, but what we talked about last year was there were six kind of key markers throughout the book of Acts that have, a, have a, like a summary statement. And it says something like, the one down there at the bottom. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in, Ju in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And what we find is about six times a statement very like that, not exactly the same, but very like that is said throughout the book of Acts. And the six phases there I have on that second bullet point down that, where it says all those different passages in the book of Acts, those describe six geographical regions and areas in which the gospel moved. And so why I'm telling you this is Jesus said at the end of Luke, this gospel, which we read at the very start, is going to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And then Luke is showing us in Acts, in the book of Acts, exactly how that happened. And so up until this point in Acts chapter 6, it's only, it's been amazing, it's been growing and multiplying and all of that, but it's still in Jerusalem. It's still centered in Jerusalem. And Jesus said it was going to go beyond that. It was going to move uh, beyond those borders, but it hadn't yet. And the thing that's really, really challenging for it and really, really challenging for us, and, and this is where it kind of like provokes us right underneath the skin, the book of Acts and the story of Jesus and the Spirit is, before it broke the borders of a city of Jerusalem or a region of Jerusalem, it had to break the borders of people's hearts. Because the reason it wasn't breaking the borders of people's hearts was because there was a sectarian spirit in the church. And Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with that, to be honest, which is why something had to happen in order for the gospel to spread. The spirit had to break out, which is why in the next, in the next kind of section of our teaching last year, we moved into spirit break out from like Acts chapter 6 to Acts chapter 12. The Spirit had to break beyond the boundaries that we often put in him in order for 
the fulfillment of Jesus' words and prophecies to come true. And so the next learning outcome and the next key is that the movement of the Spirit is always challenging our cultural traditions and our sectarian spirits to create one new humanity. I'm gently going to offer this to you and hear my heart in this. If you have a problem with that, if any of us, if I have a problem, let me start at home, with that statement, then I suggest I need to repent. Because Jesus wants to create one new humanity. He respects and he loves every culture because Jesus created our cultures. Yeah? He, he created them. And so that's all well and good. But if they take precedent over and above his lordship in our life, then we're not being biblically faithful. And we're not, we've, we've potentially got an idol in our lives. And, and so what we see in, in the book of Acts is God moving in new ways. He's breaking people out of their comfort zones. He's challenging their mindsets. He's, he's, he, he, he's challenging the mindset that we are slightly more deserving of God's grace than the guys across on the other side of the community. That's what Jesus is challenging. And so on that day, it was the, the Jews and the Samaritans or it was the Jews and it was the Gentiles. And Jesus is challenging that stuff. And the spirit has to break out beyond that. But not everyone liked that. In particular, the religious spirit didn't like that. And the religious spirit is always challenging the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And because the religious spirit, you see, tries to build an identity around something that's not essentially Jesus. The religious spirit results in an attitude of feeling that we're slightly more worthy of God than other people. And so in order to protect your status in the community, the religious spirit will do what it can do to persuade everyone to be like them. And the Holy Spirit is not like that. <laughs> the religious spirit will eventually kill Jesus. The, the religious spirit will eventually try to kill Jesus. And that's what we see in the Gospels. <clears throat> They're so tied into their own understanding of their own worth that they will be prepared to say, when Pilate is trying to give Jesus back to them, we have no king but Caesar. They've sold their souls so much that they're actually prepared to pledge their allegiance to a pagan lord than they are Jesus Christ himself. And this is what happens when the spirit is at work. There's other spirits that work too that try to control that. But God's spirit will have none of that because he wants to free people. See, the spirit of God doesn't bind you, it frees you. It's a spirit of freedom and liberty to be all that you were created to be. And it's more powerful than all of those other spirits that try to quench it and uh, control it. And so we see in the book of Acts, this religious spirit trying to control, and in order to control it, will persecute. And so we see Stephen stand before the religious system of the day saying, listen, you've crucified the Lord himself. And what do they do? They stone him. They stone him to death. And yet the persecution results in loads of, the ordinary believers having to scatter and leave Jerusalem because all of a sudden they're, they're, they're going to be killed potentially or murdered or put in prison. And as they spread beyond Jerusalem, the amazing thing about this is they just like start to gossip about Jesus. 
They take the gospel with them. And so the way the gospel spreads beyond Jerusalem is actually something that the devil tried to use to snuff it out. And isn't that the story of life? All that the enemy has meant for bad, God is turning it around for good. Yeah. And so we see in this persecution that's happening in the early church, Jesus using it for the spread of the gospel. And so off go fishermen and builders and mums and dads just having to leave their homes because they're being persecuted. It's happening right now in the world. All over the world it's happening. In Iran, despite, I said this a few weeks ago, despite what you see in the news, the fastest growing church in the world at the minute is in Iran. People are being slaughtered. People are being persecuted. People are being ripped apart in their bodies for the love and the sake of Jesus Christ and the movement of his gospel. You can't snuff out this message. <laughs> it's too powerful. It's already conquered sin and death and hell. And wherever God has his people who are open to the filling and the empowering of his spirit, it's going to keep moving. It's going to keep moving. And thank God today... It is. And so what we see is, last two points, you'll be glad to hear. Last two points, the movement is always moving in the new places, in the new people groups, and in the new geographical spaces. It's always moving. We start to see this gospel message breaking down new frontiers, loving dead people back to life, caring for the poor, healing the sick, raising the dead. It's all in there, right? And the gospel message starts moving into these new places. The, the people that we don't, and all along, the people that we don't think are going to get Jesus, they get Jesus. Because he's for them all. He, love, he, loves, he, loves us, he loves them all. And so we're going to see female slaves. We're going to see Ethiopian eunuchs. We're going to see demon-possessed freak shows of weird people that we would walk across the other side of the street to maybe avoid. People from different races, backgrounds, nationalities, religions, they're all going to get the good news that God is for mankind, that God loves humanity and wants to fill them with his own, very own personal presence. <laughs> and, uh, and this, because this is the story of how a small, persecuted Jewish sect is going to become a multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse, international family. One new humanity. That's what this story is. And the reason, despite the fact that it might have been ages since you've been in church, or it might be the fact that part of you, you know, doesn't have much time for religion, the we part of you, maybe I'm presuming too much, but the we part of you that this is resonating with this morning, like the little faint flicker that you're going... Part of this makes a bit of sense. It's because it's your story. The only way that your story makes sense is when you understand the great story of God. And so this morning, th this is our story. The gospel moving, moving, moving to new places so that God can have his dream. And God's dream is that all the earth will be filled with his presence. And people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in every people group, in every ethnic background, that we will be one in Jesus, declaring the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And every time, finally, the gospel is about to move into a new place, it is preceded 
by an outpouring of God's Spirit. Something usually happens. This is not taught that well, I don't think, in churches. There are, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is a momentous moment. There's a sense in which it's very unique. But there's another sense in which it's not unique. Because if you continue to read the book of Acts, there's an outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 8. There's an outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 11. There's an outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 13. The Spirit of God comes upon people to empower them to share the message of Jesus. And uh, the reason why I'm so passionate about this at the minute is because in our little land, In our little dry and thirsty land. We love this nation, don't we? We love this land. But oh, how it needs. How it needs a refreshing rain of the presence and the love of God. And how people need to know that Jesus isn't really that massively interested in whether or not you like pay your dues when you go to church and you like put on your suit and make everybody think that you know you're a half-decent person. He's not really interested in that. He wants your heart And there's loads of people around our country that have been put off by the church because of that. And they need to know Jesus wants your heart. And there's nowhere you have been and nothing you have done and nowhere you can go that is too dark or too difficult or too sinful or too wicked or too evil that he cannot get a hold of and redeem and restore and renew and put his own personal presence in your life. Take all of the old away and replace it with something brand new. That's the message of people. And in order for us to do, that's our message. In order for us to do that, we need the empowering sense of his Holy Spirit to come upon us. And, uh, and that's what we are longing for. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, as I finish this, which is the end of phase two, so six phases, the church has established itself in a place called Antioch, okay, so there's Jerusalem, the red dot in the bottom right, and then just straight up from it, the church has established itself in a place called Antioch, and this is kind of now home base for the church to expand right the way over to the left. It's going to go into Galatia, and then it's going to go into Europe, Macedonia, and Greece, and then by the time we get to the end of Acts, it's going to have reached its way to Rome. And you say, well, maybe this is just like a bit of a history. This, No, 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 this is your story. Because if you keep going left on that map, you'll eventually come to Ireland and you'll eventually come to the UK and you'll eventually realize that because certain people opened up their lives to be blown by the Spirit of God, wherever he took them with the good news of the message, is we sit here today knowing about a Savior and a Lord who's redeeming this world from its chaos. This is the church. This is the church of God. And I, do you know what? I... It grieves me, it really grieves me how much we've got this wrong as a church at times. But at the same time, if you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves his bride, despite all its imperfections. He is the perfect lover because he's seen the worst of his bride and he still loves it. And, uh, and so what we're going to talk about in the last month's last slide is the ecclesia, which is the, is the word that we give to the church, the church of Jesus, his bride, his people, his family. And that's, that's why we started off today. Well, after worship, we, 
we dedicated, we dedicated Oliver and we dedicated Ezra because we passionately believe that they will fulfill their destiny in knowing Jesus Christ, in being established and rooted in the family of God to serve Jesus and his bride and to help proclaim his kingdom until Jesus comes again. And knowing Johnny and Grace the way I do, and knowing <clears throat> David and Kate the way I do, I know that that's their deepest desire. What greater desire could you have for your child? What greater desire could you have for your child? To know the King of Kings, to know the Lord of Lords, to live for him, to give your life for him, to make him known, and to stand and to look into his face one day, and for Jesus to say those words back to them, Imagine, would not be the greatest thing that we could pray for those boys? That someday they'll look into the eyes of Jesus and Jesus will look back into their eyes and say, well done, my boy. Good and faithful servant. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. This is, this, when we look at the book of Acts, we're not just doing a history lesson of the church. We're recognizing this is our story that we get to be part of. And all the learning that we can do is so that we can become God's people and we can become the ecclesia, a community that look like Jesus <laughs> with nothing within our own strength, with nothing, all our bright ideas, like they just fade. You know, we don't have this in and on our own strength. We need the power and the anointing and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. His word daily in our lives in order to be formed into the likeness of his son in order to make him known. And he's here for us this morning. He's here for every single one of us because he loves us and he's for us. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, we, uh, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, your job, in a sense, you, what Jesus said you would do would be to glorify him. And so we do that this morning, and, we, and we've done that this morning, and we want to continue to do that. We want to glorify you, Jesus. We want to glorify your name. We realize that this is all for you, and for the establishing of your kingdom on this earth. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you that your presence is here this morning. Thank you that you're working in our hearts, drawing us to yourself. I pray in these moments that you would fan into flame, God, um, the parts of our heart that are flickering, but Lord could do with um, the wind of your spirit just to like, fan a love for you, Jesus, in, in the flame. And just in these moments as we close, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come now. And, and Lord, that you would uh, convict of sin and things that need to change. Uh, Lord, in a way that leads us to forgiveness, to life, and to the power of your own life just having its way in our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, in these moments, fan into flame our love for you, Jesus, a desire to know you, a desire to give our lives for you afresh, O oh God. And Lord, we pray that 
as we read these stories of the early church. We pray that we too, God, might be a people caught up in the moving of your spirit. Lord, we, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the opportunity to dedicate Oliver and Ezra today. Lord, we pray your blessing upon them. Bless the family, God. But this would feel like a marker and a special day for them. Bless the wider family circles of God as they um, maybe hang out this afternoon and have some food together or whatever. We pray that you bless them, bless our fellowship together. And um, But God, we ask that you just continue to speak to each of us as individuals. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.